Welcome everyone to the midweek edition of Couch Potato Diary, coming to you from the Clearwater Cleaning Solutions broadcast studio. Clearwater Cleaning Solutions is your one-stop commercial and residential cleaning company based out of Calgary. They have a fantastic team who are ready to make your life simpler and easier by fulfilling all of your cleaning needs. Check them out online, clearwatercleaningsolutions.com. You can check me out online on social media at Twitter and Instagram. I am at primetimecline, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. You can email the show couch potato diary at yahoo.com our music provided by wasted talent so a lot has happened in the world of sports over the last since we've last talked i guess i was gonna say 48 hours but it's been a little bit longer because we've been doing that much research into it so let's dive right in as we start with the calgary flames First of all, if you uh, want live, like, immediate reaction following every Flames game, I am on SDPN. It is Game Over Calgary. Myself, Audie James, we break down every Flames game as soon as it is over, over on the YouTube page. Um, the I mean, it stays up there after, and it's in podcast form. Just check out Game Over NHL, wherever you get your podcasts. There's Leafs and Flames stuff up there as the playoffs go along. So check out for instant reaction. Uh, you can check out their YouTube page there. But in terms of kind of, I guess, a sober second thought on Flame Stars, I, overall, a strong performance from the Flames. Like, what was it a perfect performance? No, it was not a perfect night. They won one nothing in a game that they felt clearly in control of. And there was a couple of times, I think it was a Radulov chance in the third period where it was like, oh, wow, this is this is still one nothing. Like they they are one bounce, one shot away from this game being tied, and this all of a sudden being a problem. And I, I think in all, Calgary controlled most of this game. And I, I know a lot of people are saying if you would put up like a perfect Daryl Sutter game, that would be it. I think Daryl probably would like you know two goals from his team instead of just holding on to a, a one nothing victory late. But one of the things that I liked about Calgary as we went back and looked over the notes, looked over the stats after. Calgary didn't try to match up with that top line. And I think that is a strength that this Calgary group has, is that you are comfortable, probably not with the fourth line, but with either of the top three lines going out there against that Robertson group that had 45% of Dallas, uh, Dallas's goals this season. We'll see what Dallas does when they get last change as this series heads back to Texas for Game 3 on Saturday. But for Thursday, I would expect the Flames to just continue to line, uh, to roll all four lines. Um, the, the main concern for me for Calgary was that there was a lack of quality chances. Like, to, to out-attempt Dallas, holding the, the Stars, I believe it was 28 shot attempts in this game, to hold Dallas to that amount and to have the same amount of high-danger scoring opportunities, that that is the type of thing that can't happen. And while it is great to limit your opposition's chances, it is another to then create some of your own. So I, I would look to see if the, the blue line gets a little bit more active in this. Now, obviously, there's that at the end of the first period. Rasmus Anderson and John Klingberg get into a bit of a tussle, and they both get ejected from this game. And that, I mean, that's one of your main offensive weapons on the blue line. I think that affected the Flames' power play going forward. It certainly affected Dallas's power play going forward. But when we're looking at creating some potential offense from the blue line, no Rasmus Anderson back there is going to be a bit of an issue. On that play, like it's, it's a couple of guys who are inexperienced, so they don't know, in the fight game anyway, like they've both been playing for a bit, but uh, tussles aren't necessarily a strength of either of them. And to 
to, to get into that, like, that's just, that's a rule you need to know. That if there is a fight and things have calmed down and then you fight again, you are getting ejected. That That's just a thing that seems like it is beneficial to know. And a nice reminder to everyone as the playoffs get going. But I liked the physical nature of this game. I thought Calgary rode that line quite well. A couple of times they didn't. Richie's late hit uh, on that interference call was just dumb. And I I did not like that one at all. But overall, I, I thought they, they played the physical game really, really well. And as far as Klingberg's comments after, where um, something along the lines of, like, Rasmus thinks he's tougher than he is, I understand, like, it's the playoffs. We're trash talking. I, I gotta hold this guy accountable. My guy, you got filled in hard. Like, if you landed one, you certainly didn't land a second after it. It was all Rasmus Anderson with just a steady barrage of punches in or around the face. And that, if you get beat like that, like, again, kudos to you, stepping up, drop the gloves first. Rasmus looked at him like, are you kidding me? And then proceeded to, so, again, kudos on the tough guy thing and saying that commenting on the toughness or potential lack thereof for Rasmus Anderson. I don't know what that says about you because you got your ass kicked, but uh, to each their own, I suppose. That's not how I would handle getting my face punched in on international television, but we all handle these sorts of things a little bit differently. In terms of things that I did like from a uh, Flames perspective, there was a bunch of them. Like Markstrom was great. I, I mentioned on Game Over Calgary last night, I thought Dubé was really, really good. I thought that top line was about as dangerous as Calgary had. Again, would like to see a few more chances created from that top group, but they controlled things throughout. And I think the big star of this game, and it's a note we're going to have on a few teams, but I thought the big star from this game was the penalty kill. They did seem to wear down as the game went on, and Dallas started to get a couple of more chances and were able to, to settle in a little bit more. But you also can't play balls-out penalty killing when you're killing off 18 penalties in a game. So I, I understand why Calgary's penalty kill it started to get less effective as it goes on because that is a high-pressure PK. And if I could pick a way that I would want to kill penalties, it is that. I love how aggressive they are. There is the potential that that's going to leave you vulnerable on the weak side, and we're going to talk about another team who did that in a matter of moments here. But overall... I thought Calgary did a great job of A, pressuring the puck, and then B, when Dallas did try to catch them um, with the, like the three guys coming at them, one of them or the fourth was in a very good position to play that pass. Like they just, it, it worked as a unit so very well. And the fact they're able to do that in the playoffs is great. And that is, that is a momentum booster with a crowd. And that would just be an absolute soul sucker when you are on the road. And I think that the penalty kill and special teams in general are going to be a main factor in the postseason at least for the next few games. And as far as 5-on-5 five five defensively is concerned, Calgary kept Dallas to the outside basically the whole night. And I, I said on Game Over Calgary, again, but there's um there's like a T that I think you have to defend really, really well. Like just straight up and down, like crease to crease, and then the entirety of the neutral zone. And the Flames owned that area all night. And if you can if you can control the neutral zone, you can control the hockey game. And I think Calgary did a good job of that. There was very few, oh wow, look at this rush chance for Dallas. It was all chip and try to chase and then didn't chase enough and then Calgary's chipping and hitting the crap out of their defense and getting a bit of zone time out of it. 
it seemed to follow that kind of a feel all night. Now again, the next step is create some freaking chances off of it, and I cannot stress how much Calgary needs to do that in this game, but this was a, a well-played game for Calgary, but it was one that was a bit eye-opening to me in that Dallas is going to very much delight in mucking this series up as well, and so maybe it's not going to be as convincing a series win for Calgary as I initially thought. Now we're just going to run through the other series in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, we will start out east, Boston against Carolina. I Obviously, Carolina played well in this game. They beat Boston 5-1, to one, but I thought Boston actually looked like the quicker team in this. I thought they had a lot of moments of really good jump, and it was just Carolina capitalized. Like, I thought the third period was a perfect summary of this. Boston gets the Taylor Hall goal, and they are in control. They have pressure, they're zooming around, and then there's a, a pinch and a two-on-one, and Tara Vinen scores. Boston plays well, Carolina capitalizes. I thought that was a big I thought that was the story of this game, uh, and I, I think if Boston plays that way seven times in this series, I think they might win. I, I you could definitely use a timely save or two in there for Boston. We were worried about the Carolina goal tending. Ranta looked fine, um, but Boston needed a big save at a couple of times, and they didn't get that two-on-one. It's a perfect shot from Teravainen, but you, you just can't let that, that whole sequence just can't happen. That's a tough one for Boston. I think they bounce back here uh, against Carolina later on tonight. Toronto taking on Tampa Bay. Apparently, Nylander had food poisoning going into this game. Dude should eat bad sushi before every game. I loved his start. I thought he was flying around, and I thought he was playing really well. Once again, the special teams, and specifically the penalty kill in this game, was a major factor because Toronto takes a couple early penalties against what is still a dangerous Tampa Bay power play. And not only did Toronto survive, they thrived. They get a shorthanded goal in the second period. They get a two-on-one opportunity where Giordano just puts the puck wide. But there was, I think it was the second power play that Tampa Bay had. Toronto had by far and away the better opportunities on that power play. And I thought that that kind of shifted the momentum of this game. So now, I don't know if I would give Tampa Bay all of those opportunities in game two, but you look at who the best players for the Leafs were. I thought the best player for Toronto was Mitch Marner, and I thought he built a lot of that off of strong work on the penalty kill. I also think because of how this game was officiated and, and how out of rhythm this whole game felt, and I think this was a big key in Calgary-Dallas as well, it never really felt like Tampa Bay was able to get into that rhythm, and it does seem like, as my cat comes in and just starts mucking stuff up, uh, we're going to leave all this in, though. Um, but much like she came crashing in, the officials came crashing into a lot of teams' game plans in this um, first couple of days of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and it was tough for Tampa Bay to get into that rhythm, and then the Toronto penalty kill really didn't let them get into that rhythm, and Tampa Bay just never got out of first gear. We will see how they were able to just in this one. Washington against Florida, I would love to have a deep intellectual, well, this is why Washington won this game. I don't know. I think both teams played pretty well, and Washington just 
scored more. That, that's basically it. I thought that the difference between the two teams was really highlighted in goal, though, as Bobrovsky was all over the place. I thought he made some great saves, but also I think he was bailed out, as there was a couple times he was well out of position, and either a defender made the play, or a post was hit, or a shot was missed. I thought Bobrovsky was a little too frantic. When you look at Vanacek at the other side of the net, or the other side of the ice, I thought he was calm, I thought he was composed, and I thought that was kind of what it felt like for both teams, where Washington was just like, okay, Florida's winning, we, we've seen this before, we can come back into this one. It, it really did seem like the veteran team against a team that's still pretty new to this being a high, to, to, to being a high-level hockey team. So, I think Florida still comes back in this series and, and picks up a win, but that's a big win on the road for Washington, because you know they are going to have uh, quite the home ice advantage. The game of the first two days of the Stanley Cup playoffs, Pittsburgh taking on the Rangers, goes to triple overtime. I don't think it should have. And I get you can't blame the officials. Like, for sure, if you have six periods, just score a goal and win the game. But that should not have been goalie interference. I thought that was a bogus, bogus call at uh, the latter stages, I guess, of the third period. Uh, the defender clearly pushed, I believe it was Kako, into um, into the goalie. And like that, that's just, it's not goalie interference. It's just not. And it ends up costing the New York Rangers dearly in this game. But credit Pittsburgh, because this was an excellent bounce back. They were handed their lunch in the first period by the Rangers. It was all New York in that first period. And then, again, we talk about the savvy veteran presence, but Crosby and Gensel were excellent in this game. And they were the ones, like, single-handedly bringing Pittsburgh back into this one because it, it looked like it was going to be over. But the veteran presence of Pittsburgh clawing their way back into the series. And now we'll see the response for the Rangers, because that is a backbreaker. You have a 2-0 edge. Madison Square Garden is rocking. Things are going well. You have the best goalie this season in net. And then they tie it. But then, but then, it looks like you've scored, uh, but the referees call it back. And then, you're playing pretty well in overtime, and Pittsburgh scores, and after you've played almost two full games, you are down one nothing in this series. That That is a real mental load for the Rangers to, to have to take on. Moving out west, Minnesota taking on St. Louis. Of all the teams, I mean, obviously Nashville had the worst game, but I was most disappointed in Minnesota. I, I thought they looked a little overwhelmed by the moment and a little frantic in this game. And one of the things I start looking for, or one of the things I, I start worrying about, I guess, is when teams start puck watching. That that starts to concern me greatly, and I thought Minnesota did that a couple of times because it's it's an easy default, right? Like, um, it, it's an easy okay, find your center. Okay, well, everything is scrambling, everything's going wild and crazy around me. I'll just I'll look for the puck because I know like that's where all the action is. So if if I follow that, then I can't go wrong. And then you have two defenders rushing out to Justin Falk, and that leaves Ryan O'Reilly wide open at the side of the goal. He's able to capitalize. And St. Louis is well on their way. Perron, obviously, with a good game on the power play for the Blues. But I just, I thought there was a couple of times where Minnesota was just like, okay, let's just focus on the puck because that's going to be an easy thing to, to do. And you lost track of the other responsibilities you had defensively. You lost track of the system that you were looking to play. And all of a sudden, it cost Minnesota. So that I am going to need to see 
quite frankly, a bit more of a grown-up approach to Minnesota's game in this next one. I like that Marc-Andre Fleury is coming back in net for Minnesota. I don't think 4 nothing really shows the quality of play that he had, but we're one more bad game away from there being a real controversy in Minnesota and a lot of questions being asked about a team that has kind of, I don't want to say gone all in on this year, but kind of needs to make a bit of a run soon because there's a cap crunch coming in Minnesota that this this cannot be an easy first round exit. They need a real bounce back. The Kings taking on the Edmonton Oilers and the main storyline coming out of this game was what the hell you doing, Mike Smith? The sneaky truth of this game I don't think Mike Smith played that bad. Like, yes, that, that gaffe at the end of the game is is simply inexcusable and, and cannot happen. That is totally his fault. But it is totally not his fault that they were in that position in a 3-3 game in the third period. I thought that he actually had a couple of key saves. I thought there was a lot of breakdowns in front of him that he was able to bail his team out of. It's just he put them into one at the worst possible time. And you just, again, you cannot have that. It is great that you are aggressive and you are playing the puck. But there needs to be some kind of a filter where, hey, there's three minutes left in this hockey game. Maybe I shouldn't fire this into the slot when I'm not there. Like, it's just dumb and just don't. But for the Oilers, it was a lot of things sneaking back to bite them in this game. Connor McDavid pretty clearly was excellent. But aside from that, it's him and it's Duncan Keith and it's Evan Bouchard. Those are your players who are above 50% possession in this game. Yamamoto and Barry were right after, are right at it, but everyone else, negative possession on the, the ledger for Edmonton. And we know the Kings can be possession darlings, and that's how they have worked into this spot. If, if two-thirds of the Oilers are in the negatives when it comes to possession, this team is going to lose. And again, you're going to have a lot of uncomfortable questions being asked. I think Edmonton gets a win here in Game 2 and is able to bounce back. But for the Kings to be able to win the exact type of a game that the Oilers would want to play, a wild shootout, that is phenomenal news for Los Angeles. And also, one last one, Jonathan Quick turning back the clock. He was outstanding in this game. And there was a couple of times where, again, it looked like Edmonton might have the opportunity to take over, and Quick makes a couple of key saves that keeps his young team in it. Last one, Colorado against Nashville. It was a sound and thorough ass-kicking. There is no breakdown for this. Colorado is just far and away a better team than Nashville, and I, I don't think you need to make any preparations for a game five between these two teams. Overall stories from the playoffs, uh, the refereeing is obviously one that is going to stand out. And I I remember this from last year and I remembered it too late. Uh, I feel like we all need to make a mental note for next year that I don't know how you can make money off of number of penalties called in a game. I, I think we're going to see more power play opportunities in the first few games of these series. So maybe the over is the way to go on some of them. But the players have another level of intensity and there is um, just a different feel to the playoffs and the referees are still calling regular season stuff. Like the, I, I said on game over Calgary last night, Zadorov, that holding call is just never getting called a month from now in the postseason, right? Like, I, I do think the referees, it'll be more the referees will catch up to the players and the players will catch up to the way that these games are being officiated. There's just too much emotion in them. And I, I think there is going to be a bit of a talk with the referees, but they were the story coming out of the first couple of days with just how many penalties were being called. So again, let's all make a note of this next time. 
um, at the, the start of the Stanley Cup playoffs next year. Let's take a couple overs because I feel like we're going to have a number of power play opportunities. As far as the underdogs who won in game one, I, I was wondering which one had the best chance to win their series. So underdog, I'm not basing this off of gambling odds necessarily, although I probably should have. Um, just basing it off of which were, which road teams won in game one. So we got the Blues, the Kings, the Penguins, and the Capitals. I think the Blues were the most impressive to me because of how bad they made Minnesota look. The Kings, like we said before, they were able to play the Oilers style and win. Washington hung right with Florida and was just able to outlast them. But I think the one that has the best chance of going on to winning their uh, to win their series is Pittsburgh. And I know I did not give Pittsburgh much of a chance in our playoff preview. I had Rangers in five, which I mean mathematically could still happen. Rangers and logistically could still happen. Rangers could come out, great performance, Shesterkin makes 35 saves in a 3-0 shutout, and the Rangers are on their way and back on track. But I was so impressed with how Sidney Crosby was just like, no, we're not losing this game. And Gensel was right there with him. And then you get, obviously, like, Kapanen helping out and Malkin helping out and Latang. Like, you, you have the veterans stepping up. We'll see what they do in goal now after they had to go a bit down the depth chart for Louis Deming in overtime and still win, which is another backbreaking part of this for the Rangers. But for... For the teams that were on the road that picked up wins in game one, I think Pittsburgh has the best chance to take advantage of it going forward. The music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X's where the A's would be and find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. Obviously very hockey heavy as the Stanley Cup playoffs are underway. And I'll be honest, the second round of the NBA playoffs, underwhelming me a little bit. Um, Philadelphia against Miami is just depressing to watch with no, excuse me, no Embiid, no Lowry, and Jimmy Butler not necessarily at 100%. Like, as much fun, as, as much as I just enjoy basketball, as much fun as some of these players are, it doesn't really get the blood flowing where it's Maxi against Tyler Hero, although Hero was tremendous in that game for Miami. And we, we should all aspire to have the confidence that young man has on a basketball court because holy crap. But just a couple of notes from Philly against Miami. It's clear that the Philadelphia defense is real struggle bus without Embiid. There, there was just, there was a lot of paint touches for Miami. There was a lot of attacking and creating off of that where I don't think you necessarily have as much of that with Embiid. Or at least it's a bit more challenging for Miami to do that with Embiid. And then because there is no Joel Embiid, you have to you have to help out in the paint a little bit more. And that creates more open looks for guys like Tucker, guys like Hero. Although you should never be cheating off of that guy. Um, it just, it happens sometimes. And so I, I think with no Embiid there, it really starts to spiral for Philadelphia defensively. The, the Heat missed Lowry too. Like, the, I mean, the, the guy is an NBA champion. He is an all-star. And there were way too many turnovers for Miami that I thought let Philadelphia stick around in this game, especially late there in the first half. This could have been like a 30-point win for Miami. They really outplayed Philadelphia by that stretch. But the, the sloppy play from Miami kept this one a little bit close. And I think with Lowry out there, that gets tightened up a little bit. But I thought Hero was the story in game one. I thought P.J. Tucker... He would be so, and I mean, the Raptors have played against him before. He'd be so infuriating to play against from a playoff series perspective because you're helping off of him all the time. And 
we've seen a couple of times now, whether it's against Atlanta or here against Philadelphia, he's out there making shots and making plays, and God, that would be infuriating, where you think you have a pretty good defensive possession, and then Tucker hits a three on you. It's like, really, this is what we're doing, hey? And then defensively, he's smaller than almost everyone he guards, but he just slows them down. Like, he... It would just be so infuriating to watch from a, a Philadelphia fan perspective. But I I don't know. As long as Embiid's not in this series, I don't think the 76ers are really either. Boston with a great response against Milwaukee in Game 2. They got punched in the mouth in Game 1. And that's what they had done to other teams in the last half of this season. And so for them to respond the way they did with... Excellent defense on Giannis, forcing Milwaukee to miss 10 of their first 11 shots, and then Jalen Brown, because I thought he was the worst of the, the Celtics star players in Game 1. He was in desperate need of a bounce back, and he did. That That is a maturity, that is uh, a mental toughness that this Boston team didn't have a couple of years ago. I think it's good coaching, I think it's great work from the players as well, and to have Boston step up in that way is really great to see. This is, this is going to be a great series. It's just the first two games haven't really been close either way. But I think now it's going to settle in. One thing for Milwaukee, with no Middleton, Pat Connaughton can't be your third best player. Like, that is that is concerning to me from a, a Milwaukee standpoint. And Connaughton had a great game. I love his energy off the ball. I love the, the movement that he is able to play with. But Brooke Lopez needs to have a bit more of an impact in this series. Bobby Portis, he was fine, but... It's it's concerning when you see the big three that Boston can bring out there, and then Grant Williams is having a good game, and Pritchard's hitting from deep, and then you look on, on the Milwaukee side, and there just isn't that without Middleton there. That does really feel... I, I thought you really felt the, the absence of Middleton in that game, because Giannis started to take over in late third, early fourth to try to make a game of this. I thought Holiday's defense was great all game, and he tried to drag this team in the early going when Giannis was trying to find his footing as Boston threw a few different things defensively at him. But Milwaukee really, really missed Middleton in that game, and I think they're really going to miss him in this series as well. Another great response came from Memphis, as that could have been... That, that was a very easy Game 1 loss to have your heart broken in. You have the ball at the rim to beat Golden State at home, and it misses. And... You, you, from a Memphis perspective, it's like, man, we got to beat these guys five times now because we feel like we beat them in this one, and now we have to beat them the actual four games that it takes to win this series, and we just dropped one at home. But there was none of that in this game, and it's just, it's contributions from everywhere. Triple J with another couple of big shots. If he could just stay on the floor, we're talking about I think next year, one of the, I don't want to say premier players in this game, but we're talking about a guy who's threatening all-star starter status every year. I, I just, I think the world of this kid as a player, with the exception that he is a lock for four fouls a half. And when you only get six in a game, that's a problem. And so that that's the next step of his maturity. But other guys stepped up. Melton with a big block late in the game that really sealed it. Um... Like, Clark obviously can come up with a couple of big plays as well in this one. Dylan, it's unfortunate, the injury on Peyton, and that was such an interesting plot. But other than injuring a guy, I thought he stepped up as well. But the big the big one in this game is John Morant. 47 points. The thought that he has added a three-point shot to his game now 
is so scary. And he is so confident in it now. It's not all the time. You're not going to see him chuck up 12 of those game, but it is enough that when you see guys backing off of him because he is so explosive, by the way, that ain't helping you. It just means you've been beat by less by the time he gets to the rim because he explodes to the rim like no one else. But if you want to back off of him, he will take that three-pointer or a long two and just shove it right in your face. I don't know how you defend this guy. And Golden State's going to have to figure it out now. And without Peyton, that is a huge loss for Golden State. I love that Kerr made that adjustment to to put Peyton out there as, um, as one of the better defensive players in the league. It's just so unfortunate he goes down with the injury. And now we will see how Golden State responds and if they just try to outscore some of their issues. Lastly, Phoenix against Dallas. This game ends up being a little bit close with a Dallas push at the end. I don't think the series is that close. I... I have real concerns about Dallas, and they were one of the best defensive teams in the league this year. I thought they did a great job defensively on Utah, although Utah kind of made it easy on them, but there is no answer for Aiton, and very few teams have an answer for Aiton, but there is just nothing. Um, He's able to to get anything he wants in the post, and because he has kind of grown his mid-game a little bit more, or mid-range game, sorry, a little bit more, He's a tough guy to defend anyway, but, I mean, Powell didn't have a hope. Kleba didn't have a snowball's chance in hell of defending him in that game. And so for for the, um, for the Suns now, that becomes, I think, a focal point of the offense. And then Booker's hitting crazy shots. Chris Paul, the, the work he was able to do in getting mismatches off of switches and then taking advantage of it, it was perfect. And then Dallas, like... Luca is going to get his, but even that, he wasn't as dominant, I guess. And then the three ball wasn't falling as much for them, and they're just not going to win that way. I I don't know if this is a long series anymore. Like, clearly, the Golden State-Memphis series is the most intriguing of this round, but I, I think Phoenix is going to really solidify how damn good they are as, um, I... I think this is a good Dallas team, but I don't think they have a hope here against the Suns. A couple quick ones here before we close out the show. A couple tough losses for the Blue Jays. Um, Manoa pitched great, and then the bullpen just kind of fell apart. And that's starting to happen a bit too much for this Blue Jays team now. There needs to be a bit of a bridge to the late innings. But I, I think part of it is this team needs a couple just relaxing, we're kicking the shit out of you games. Because the offense, aside from a couple of bats, like Vladdy has been good to start the year. Um, aside from that game in New York, though, he hasn't been like, oh my God, this is the best player in the world, um, which is a high bar to set for someone, but uh, it's also a bar that he should be able to reach at times. Springer's been really, really good, but everyone else has been very inconsistent. This Blue Jays lineup, I think, needs to give this bullpen a bit of a break. I think one of the issues Toronto's bullpen's having is they're just overworked because this team's only scoring three runs a ball game. The starters are pitching great, but it's 3-2 going into the ninth, it seems like, every night, or the Blue Jays are losing by a bunch. So I think Toronto... I think Toronto gets it figured out, and still, they are currently in a playoff spot. This is their first series loss of the season. It sucks that it's coming against the Yankees. There's a bunch of excuses that you could make that Toronto was wearing down with 30 games in 31 days and all of those things. The fact is, this offense needs to be better if this team's going to get to where they want to get to. And last night was the CFL draft, and a really cool story here in Calgary, as uh, Jalen Philpot, the the Philpot brothers, two good receivers for the Calgary Dinos, they both get drafted last night. Jalen from the Calgary Dinos, not going to have to go far as he comes to the Stampeders. It's just an awesome story. I love it so much. It makes me so happy. And this is now something that I think the Stampeders need to take full advantage of. You have, again, 
kid played college football here and is now playing for the Stampeders. He should be, every radio station should be getting a message from the, the Stamps about this. They've already started to, to hype up, hey, it's the Philpot Bowl when these two, two, when these two brothers face each other. This needs to be a real push for the Stampeders because for all the talk about do we actually need um do we actually need um the, the ratios for Canadian born players playing and all of those types of things and I get I do get both sides of that argument. I know that's not a popular thing to say sports talk wise, but I I do understand like on the one side just get the best players in this league and see what happens. But also there is something to be said about well there's this connection to some of the local players. This is the exact thing you are looking for when you A, have a Canadian-specific draft, B, have a Canadian-specific role for the amount of, a rule, sorry, for the number of Canadian players that can play or that have to be playing at one time, and C, the dude's good. Like, the, this, this hits everything that you are supposed to hit. I don't think he's going to go on to be the greatest receiver in the history of the Calgary Stampeders or the Canadian Football League or whatever, but... You have something cool here, and it's something that people can latch onto. I think that this is a real opportunity for the Stampeders, and I think they really need to build on it now. We're going to close the show today with today's ticket. Uh, we have a three-game ticket and then a couple of other ones that you're not allowed to put in the parlays. So we will start uh, with the, the main portion of the ticket. You probably picked up on it. I like Phoenix Suns against the Dallas Mavericks. They are six-point favorites. I will gladly give up six points and uh, take the Suns against Dallas Mavericks. So I got Phoenix minus six. Boston taking on Carolina. You just heard the, the hockey breakdown a bit ago. I think Boston was more competitive in that game against Carolina than was expecting. This line is rather heavily juiced, but I, I'm just going to take the comfort with it. I wanted to take Boston money line. I thought better of it. I'll just take Boston plus one and a half. I will take wild money line minus 135. I think they play better in their game tonight against St. Louis. So three games that gets us to plus 351. Uh, a couple of other ones, just kind of secondary ticket plays, I suppose. I don't know. I don't have a clever name for it. Today's ticket isn't even that clever, but either way, um, it is Kikuchi going for the Blue Jays. I, I don't have a ton of confidence in him. I think Toronto can still win this game, but I think it's going to have to be late in the game. I have first five going to the Yankees at minus 145. couple player props tonight. I like Harden under 22 and a half points. He's just not scoring at that type of a clip. He had 16 in game one. I think it'll be around that number again in game two. And Mike Smith over 28 and a half points. We saw in game one, the Oilers were able to dictate how that game was played. It just didn't get them the result they wanted. I think we see another fast paced type of a game like that. I think there's going to be a lot of shots on both sides. So I think Mike Smith over 28 and a half saves is the way to go in that one. Yes, I understand how terrifying it is to bet on Mike Smith in the postseason. But that is going to do it for the show today. Once again, thank you all so much for downloading and for listening to this point. Thank you to Clearwater Cleaning Solutions, your one-stop commercial and residential cleaning company based out of Calgary. They have a fantastic team who are ready to make your life simpler and easier by fulfilling all of your cleaning needs. Check them out online, clearwatercleaningsolutions.com. As for me, the rest of the week, back on Game Over Calgary after Game 2 tomorrow, and I'll be back here for another podcast coming up on Friday. I will talk to you all later. I'm out.